Hello and welcome to Popcorn and Power Tools. Before this episode begins, I'd just like to announce that I'm now part of the Nerd OD network of podcasts. They've got an awesome run of shows for all your nerd needs, and I'm really glad to be covering horror for them going forward. Beyond the podcast, I'll also be contributing articles to nerdod.com, and I have a couple on the site right now, so make sure you check them out. And now, on with the show. February of 1692, the people of Massachusetts tried and executed 19 people. Execution was a common punishment for many crimes back then, but these trials had an altogether more sinister tone. Their crime? Witchcraft. In a time before many medical and scientific breakthroughs, People viewed even the most basic holistic medicine as something ungodly and threatening. Many of those tried were actually village healers, helping their communities with medicine and treatments. Some were tried simply because someone had it out for them, accusing them of snaring men away for affairs with magic and demonology. It's often easier to explain your husband's affair was due to sorcery than it is to admit you were both unhappy especially during a time where divorce wasn't an option and appearances were there to be maintained. For whatever reason, the moral majority deemed worthy, the people of Massachusetts decided these witches posed such a threat to their morally upright Christian lifestyle that execution was deemed the only way to ensure their safety. Their lack of understanding and fear of anyone capable of doing things that they deemed only God could do was enough. Only these trials and subsequent executions would save them from the evils of the unknown. There has always been a palpable fear of what we don't understand. And in this week's episode, I'll be looking at how filmmakers have exploited new technology and the audience's lack of understanding to scare theatres to their core. My name is Rich O'Brien, and you're listening to Popcorn and Power Tools, a podcast about how history changed horror, and horror made history. In 1999, dial-up internet was the latest cutting-edge technology. Finally, people all over the world were able to access information from anywhere, talk to people from the other side of the globe, and of course, discuss movies. Well, as long as someone didn't need to use the phone line. As with all emerging technology, there was a great deal of uncertainty about the internet. Was it trustworthy? Could hackers bring about the launch of nuclear missiles? Could this new technology enslave us as all the movies of the past had hinted at? Interestingly, something people didn't expect was that the internet could lie. Television, at the time, was deemed as a trustworthy source of information, and the same scrutiny was shown to the emerging World Wide Web. If the TV reported a European single currency had been created, or that Bill Clinton had been acquitted of perjury, they believed it, because why would the TV lie to them? 
Back then, websites were generally created by already trustworthy sources of news and content, such as the BBC, CNN, Disney. And that meant that the trust shown to the television was extended to this very new emerging platform. These days, we're all very aware of the internet and its somewhat deceitful nature. Be that through endless accusations of fake news, viral hoaxes or festivals that borderline only existed on Instagram. Most people take the things that they read or watch online with a huge grain of salt. When we look at our feeds nowadays, it's with a cynical eye and rightly so. The web users of 1999 weren't quite so prepared for a site to outright lie to them. And two directors had a very clever idea to exploit that and make the unreal entirely believable. Armed with around £60,000 and a cast of unknowns, Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez headed to the woods of Maryland to create the game-changing horror classic, The Blair Witch Project. The Blair Witch Project is a film mainly known for being one of the first of the modern wave of found footage horror flicks, influencing franchises such as Paranormal Activity, Unfriended and the genuinely terrifying Grave Encounters. But it's so much more than that. Very rarely in this genre does a film change the game, not just for horror, but for cinema as a whole. In fact, I'd honestly say the last horror film to create such waves before that was Steven Spielberg's massive hit Jaws, which is now regarded as the first ever summer blockbuster. What Myrick and Sanchez did was to create a viral marketing campaign when the idea of a viral marketing campaign wasn't even a thing. And to actually incorporate the marketing into the lifeblood of the movie. The film, at its heart, is literally the footage found. You see where that genre name came from after the disappearance of three young filmmakers making a documentary about the local legend of a witch. Nowadays, found footage films are ten a penny and it's incredibly hard to honestly believe that the events unfolding on screen are actually genuine recordings from some horrible, horrible tragedy. In 1999, however, with the support of some savvy marketing techniques, Myrick and Sanchez had the audience, hook, line, and sinker. Horror cinema is at its best when there's a tiny suspension of disbelief. When we look at the screen, if we feel even the slightest apprehension that what we're seeing might be real or could happen... It's so much easier to get lost in the events unfolding before us. These two young directors exploited that perfectly. 
Before I discuss the marketing in depth, it's worth noting that while the events in the film are fictitious, the lengths the directors went to make this film seem believable are astounding. After all, there's no point in marketing a film as real if the performance seem hammy, fake and wooden. Creating the feeling of believability was key, and what better way to make the audience believe the actors were hungry, lost and terrified than, well, to starve them, get them lost and terrify them. The script for Blair Witch was essentially 35 pages of outlines and plot beats, rather than overthought-out dialogue, meaning the cast had only the vaguest idea of the horrors that would unfold, heightening the sense of unease amongst the cast. It led to the dialogue being ad-libbed, which made it feel more organic and more real. In fact, after the introduction Heather gives to the documentary, loosely explaining some of the lore and myths surrounding the witch. The entire narrative unfolds without any further explanation. It doesn't spoon-feed you the lore to heighten the tension, instead it lets you base your reaction on what you see and hear, and lets your mind fill in the blanks. The cast were sent out with cameras, tents and a GPS tracker, which would direct them to their next filming location, where they'd also deposit the previous day's filming for the crew to collect. Over eight days of filming, the cast were only fed with bananas and power bars, left by the crew daily at these drop zones. These food drops were coupled with notes for each actor, only to be read by them, basically giving them their direction for the day's filming. These usually consisted of the character's goals for that day, often contradicting the directions left for the other cast members. It's the contradictive nature of these notes that created a further sense of tension amongst the cast, leading them to have growing distrust in each other about their goals and motives. It's at night time where these factors really came to a head. Just imagine how you'd feel, tired, hungry, lost and isolated. Even knowing that the events unfolding are staged, it's hard not to be scared when you hear children dancing and singing around your tent, or your tent being attacked by unseen figures, let alone waking up to find your campsite covered with the now iconic Stickman figures. The fear you see on screen is genuine, And when the reactions are real and authentic, well, the audience watching it believe it. After the shoot had wrapped and the actors finally ate a good meal and slept in a warm bed, 19 hours of footage was edited down and the marketing effort began. Cinema marketing at the time had become a somewhat stagnant affair. The usual cycle of poster, trailer, TV spots and then a release had basically been done to death, and only the added factor of most films now having an official website, the Space Jam one somewhat strangely still being active to this day, had been added to the mix since the 80s. 
Blair Witch's website did things a little differently. What it did was present these events as entirely real. The site boasted a timeline of events dating back to 1785, essentially creating the mythology and the lore for the film, filling in a lot of the backstory that the film barely touches on, such as Rustin Parr, Ellie Kedward and the history of Burkittsville. It also explains that the trio of filmmakers, or protagonists, are missing, presumed dead, and that they disappeared filming the documentary which the film will show. The site features evidence photos, pictures of them in film school, and short snippets of the footage found by the local police. It even goes as far as to explain how this grisly footage came into the hands of the movie's producers, explaining the character's parents handed it over to Haksan Films to help piece together the events that transpired in an effort to find their children. All this information is delivered in as honest a way as possible, never pushing screening times, reviews or listing the production credits and studio logos. Its matter-of-a-fact presentation looks no different to many GeoCity sites back in the day. There's no flashy graphics, instead it lets the stark black background, white text and red links carry all the weight. While the historical events discussed are fictional and only vaguely based on real events, figures such as Ellie Kedward are named similarly to real people. Kedward named after Edward Kelly, a soothsayer and mystic from the 16th century. Given its backstory and element of familiarity, a rooting in the realism of well-known American folklore, as a final masterstroke, the directors looked at what was the most revered movie site of the time, IMDb, and approached them with listing the cast as deceased slash missing for a full year. It was a promotional stunt so successful that Heather's mother received condolence cards and wreaths from people duped by the film. Heather Donahue. Joshua Leonard and Michael William, all appearing under their own names, were now no longer alive due to some savvy marketing decisions to help maintain the illusion that the footage was authentic. During its screening at Sundance, instead of the usual glossy art usually associated with movie posters, Haksan Films opted instead to advertise the film with missing posters for the cast. And when the film opened at Sundance, queues lined up around the block. As a final attempt to enhance the backstory, some of the remaining 19 hours of footage were pieced together into a short mockumentary for the Sci-Fi Channel, further adding weight to the lore established on the website. The Blair Witch Project cleverly uses these marketing tools to not only boost its box office, but also to enhance the experience when watching the movie. Seeing Blair Witch without all the backstory works, and it's a genuinely affecting story, but coupled with the weighty lore, crime scene photographs, and the idea that the film studio only got involved to piece together the events, well, it makes the audience even more apprehensive, nervous and anxious about what's to come. It preys on our fear of the unknown, and thanks to the website, 
or thirst for more equally chilling information. It's definitely not the first film to market its footage as real. You only have to look at Cannibal Holocaust and its premise of the actors actually dying on film as an example of found footage predating it. And it's even predated by the less successful but similarly shot The Last Broadcast by a year or so. But it just happens to be the first film that exploited every available platform, not just to sell tickets, but to enhance the story it tells. Cannibal Holocaust, for example, was marketed as found footage, and even listed its cast as dead, much like Blair Witch. But when you watch it, it's clearly framed using a traditional narrative, intercut with the horrific footage, taking away from the overall sensation that what you're watching is real. It didn't help that the cast were called in for a very real trial when the director, Ruggero Diodato, was accused of actually murdering them, shattering that illusion too. In contrast, Blair Witch wears its amateur shooting, lack of narrator and overall complete disregard for Flash on its sleeve, creating the overwhelming feeling of authenticity. Today, Blair Witch Project stands in a weird position of infamy. While the first watching of The Exorcist or The Shining still scares as much as it always has, Blair Witch loses a lot without the weight of doubt on its side. We know now it's just a movie, it's lore entirely fabricated, and the actors alive and well. The internet ironically working against it, but as an example of using every platform available to enhance its narrative, it's a wonderful and terrifying example of horror done right. Its influence can still be felt. The Paranormal Activity series took its lead and dominated box offices for several years using a very similar format. ARG games based around secretive and obscure websites have been used to promote everything from album releases, video games and movies. In fact, one of my favourite campaigns to promote a horror film takes a very similar slant to Blair Witch. To promote the film The Last Exorcism, the marketing team ran loop videos on popular chat-slash-penis-showing website Chatroulette. Initially, the attractive girl starts a striptease, only to brush her hair back, roll her eyes to white, and then transform into a demon diving at the screen. Another variant included her snapping her own neck, both of which concluded with the website URL for the film afterwards. It's a timely reminder to both watch the film and be careful who you wave your penis at. While Blair Witch Project was perhaps best seen at release, you can feel its legacy in modern creepypasta culture, particularly at the heart of Slenderman. It relies on grainy footage, unclear photographs, and a deep lore and mythology to terrify. Does that sound familiar to you? The main difference is that while we see Slenderman as a scary and fun story, we don't believe it to be real like many did with Blair Witch at its release, and that's both a huge testament to how well Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez crafted their lore and played to the naivety of the time, but also 
to us as an audience having less cynical eyes in 1999. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Popcorn and Power Tools. If you like what I'm doing with the show, please leave a review, subscribe and tell a friend. It helps the show reach new listeners and honestly, it just means a lot to me. If you're interested in what I'm doing, I now have an Instagram where I post reviews and behind the scenes footage. You can find that at Popcorn Power Tools. I also have reviews and articles up at nerdod.com, so please do check them out. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email me at popcornandpowertools at gmail.com. I love hearing from you all, and I do my best to get back to everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I've been Rich O'Brien, and this has been Popcorn and Power Tools. Stay spooky and take care. It's a scary place out there.